All right. Well, let's start out this way. Um, what do you want today? What, let's say this box contained whatever you would want. Anything at all. What do you want? What do you want? A lot of stuff. iPhone 14. Is that going to make you happy? What do you want? So you could go in here. There's all kinds of things we could pull out. We could pull out a rabbit. We could pull out a, a baby skunk. There's a baby skunk in the basement. For any of you who really wanted that before you die. Um, we could pull out maybe restored relationships. Maybe that, there would be a relationship in your life. You'd say, that would be at the top of my list. A profitable job. Right? Maybe, maybe the, the things are getting more expensive. Maybe that would be helpful for you. You can't read that, but that's what it says. Well, that would be nice. Well, a healthy bank account. That sounds fun. Restored health, right? This is where all of us, one time or other, will really want that. Getting older and older. Every day is a gift, right? How about peace on earth? Peace on earth. What would you put in this box? If you could have anything at all, what would it be? Transient, intransient, something you can hold on to or some idea. Where does your mind go? Well, this, this verse that we begin with really shows us how the secret of how to pull one thing out of this box and you have everything else. And that is this. Yahweh as your shepherd. Yahweh, Lord, as your shepherd. What does the first verse say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is astounding. This is the secret of life. If, if you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you have begun to live And you could be Tiny Tim with no health, no, no wealth, and you could be perfectly happy and content. Or you could be Scrooge and have everything that the whole city wants and be miserable. By this phrase, knowing the secret. It is a secret to life. And that's why this psalm is so foundational. It is so... I think it really hits, hits us where our heart is. It's, the, it, it's so, in that sense, so practical. We really learn how to live. It gives us perspective on how to live life. And it is beautiful. It's put in such a beautiful setting that it's memorable and it, stick with us. it sticks with us. Um, out of 150 songs, right? You have 150 songs in your hymnal here. In the Psalms, I do believe it's the most beautiful. At least, I think so. We've been singing songs, some songs last generations. You start singing these songs from the 70s and 80s, some from the 20s, not many from the 20s, some from, this one's lasted thousands of years. It's the sweetest song. 
stands taller than the rest, and it continues to rise in the future ahead of us as a path to heaven where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we're going to jump into it today, and, and I'm going to try to finish all in one day. I really would love to take a week on each verse, but I think it would be helpful for us to get the whole psalm in one punch, okay? few points, a few points here of introduction to help us understand the whole psalm at a glance, okay? So you have it in front of you, your Bible and your phone, put it up here on the screen. I think it's important to note, first of all, the context, the context. Well, can't get into all of the Psalms, we were doing that, but I will just say this about the context, it comes after what? Psalm 22, all right, and that's important, it follows Psalm 22. Look at Psalm 22 for just a second. Psalm 22, verse 1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look down at verses 16 to 18 of Psalm 22. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. Look at the next phrase. They pierced my hands and my feet. This was written by David a thousand years before Jesus. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Amazing. Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. And we'll see that you have to come to the Lamb at the cross, being offered up on the altar of God, before you can have the shepherd of Christ. You have to have Christ as your lamb before you have Christ as your shepherd. And so you cannot say he is enough until you get through Psalm 22. The author is David, and I think that's really sweet, right? Because David was a shepherd, right? And, and I, I think it's fascinating, like, what will you be remembered for? Who knows? Probably most... Like ten years later, maybe nothing, but but except to your family. Newsflash. But with David, like some things really stick out, and a lot of it's his bad stuff later on. But but really, this is one of his highlights. I think this is like this is the the zenith of David's life that he's able to pen this. That he was a man after God's own heart because he loved the Lord, and he was able to he was able to write this. And so I see David there on the hillside with his harp, his slingshot alone, late in the night, and he just has nothing but God. That can get to you as a teenage boy. He's got nothing but the stars, the bleeding of the sheep, his harp and his God, and he's just strumming with all his heart in praise to God, writing these psalms. And he's able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Real quick about the structure, and, and I, I would love to spend more time with this. I'm just going to say this. This is helpful for you to do as you're studying the Psalms, to just read through it a bunch of times 
and just let, let kind of the psalm itself develop, or a chapter, or a book of the Bible, as to like the big ideas. I'm going to say that this psalm has two sections that are bookended between the first verse and the last verse. Okay, So you have this first verse that's kind of a bookend, and the last verse is kind of a bookend. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is really the thesis of the whole psalm. It's the big idea. It's really what it's all about, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the ending is kind of like that conclusion. He's like, because the Lord's my shepherd, he's going to follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so in my idea, you kind of have those two bookends, and then really you have two main ideas in between that, two main sections. That's verses 2 and 3, and verses 4 and 5. And I kind of see a shift here because, as you'll notice, verses 2 and 3, he says, he does this, he does this, he does this, he does this. You see that? He does, he does, he does. And then when you get to verses 4 and 5, he changes to I. I will do this. I will do this. So I would say, like, verses 2 and 3 are kind of like a testimony of who God is. And verses 4 and 5 are almost a promise of what he will do because of the testimony of verses 2 and 3. And so that's kind of the, the, the flow of thought through the psalm. We're going to really tie it all to verse 1, though. The big idea that stays consistent throughout, the Lord is my shepherd. If you look at other commentaries, you'll find that some people put other images there. Like you come down here, we'll see this verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We don't often see sheep eating at a table. Right? So, so some people will say, well, he switches here to a host. And some people actually say there's three different things, uh, three different pictures. I, I see really one main picture, okay? And that is this big idea, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, okay? Uh-oh, yeah. So, Christ is enough. He is our good shepherd, he is our guiding shepherd, he's our guarding shepherd, and he's our infinite shepherd. This is why Christ is enough. This is why the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So let's look at that first one. Verse 1, Christ is enough. He, he gives us this comforting picture, uh, this beautiful picture that the Lord is my shepherd. What a, what a comforting thing today. I hope you can affirm this as well. The Lord, Yahweh, this covenant-keeping God who revealed himself in the, the, the burning bush to Moses, the one who scattered the stars, right? You've been seeing these images from this new telescope. Uh, we just think we're so cool because we can get a telescope that finally sees the things that Jesus spoke, right? Look at how good we are. We can see it finally. Yeah, he put it all out there. The Lord, that's your Lord. He is amazing, creator of all the galaxies, the expanse to which we do not, can't even fathom. But this is, is so much theology here. And again, we could spend, you could just meditate on that for days. And that would be good for your soul. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay? There, there is this sense, this understanding then that God is not a force. God is a, has personality. It's not that, that everything is God. No, here is a person, someone who is a person. He is not a force. He is a he is God who has personality. But he has a, has a personality who is present. The Lord is. There, there's this really neat thing that he's not just distant in the galaxies. 
we can actually, we can actually talk to him because he, he can relate to us. And so we go from the idea of God being an impersonal force to God actually being personality. He has personality to where he's not just distant, but he's present, but also that we can enter into a relationship with him. The Lord is, and David says, my shepherd. He doesn't say our shepherd. He really personalizes. And I really want you to do that today. I want you to leave with the conviction that, you know what? God is my shepherd. I have this close relationship to him. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that? Right? What is implied here is so important. How do you become someone's sheep? How does this happen? It doesn't just happen. I looked this up. You can buy a sheep for 250 bucks. You've got to drive to Pennsylvania. That's the cheapest one I could find. Found one in New Jersey for 50, 250 one in Pennsylvania for 250 You could have a sheep. But what do you have to do? You have to go there and you have to fork over some cash. You've got to purchase this sheep. And then you have a sheep. You have a little lamb. God has purchased you. This is an amazing truth. Inherit in the text, the Lord is my shepherd means that he has brought me into his fold. He has bought me. He, he has chosen me. And he has placed me in this close relationship to himself. And, and we know what he paid to find me in his fold. We just read about it. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Lamb of God will be lifted up on the cross, slaughtered brutally, drain all of His blood so that I may be redeemed. He will be forsaken that I will never be forsaken. Peter puts it this way, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the Precious blood. This is why we can come to the Father. This is why we can come to the table. This is why we're in the fold. Because Jesus has paid it all. Because the Lord was forsaken. And I'm now taken. Brought into the fold. Beautiful, beautiful picture. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't know what phase of life you're entering right now. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Maybe you're taken back by this or that or the other thing. But you know what? You can enter any field of life, any fence in life, if you know in the other side of that fence, the Lord is my shepherd. And so you can say this contented result, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I nothing lack if I am his and he is mine forever. I can get rid of this box. You have a list of things, right? I have a list of things I would like. But this is the different perspective. It's like, Lord, do you see that field over there? I'd love to be on the grass that's greener on the other side of the fence. I would love to have some of the alfalfa. Lord, is that okay? Can we go that way? And we totally rest on our shepherd. 
If our shepherd says no, if our shepherd doesn't lead that way, I am content because I have my shepherd. He's purchased me and I trust him. Spurgeon put it this way, I have in having thee all that I can crave. The Lord is my shepherd and that's enough. I shall not want. So Christ is enough. Christ is enough as the good shepherd. Look at the second thing here. Uh, He is our good shepherd. He is our guiding shepherd. The Lord guides us. Verses 2 and 3. He's not our good shepherd only. He is our guiding shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And look at what he does. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Well, we're definitely looking at the sheep and shepherd and pasture, aren't we? Our shepherd, his guidance provides for us. It provides green pastures. It provides quiet waters. I like Philip Keller's book on this psalm. It's really enjoyable if you haven't read it, A Shepherd's Look at the Psalm. He was a shepherd in East Africa and uses his experience to kind of point out some things that we might overlook. Um, He said it takes a lot for a sheep to lie down. Four different things they need taken care of. First of all, they need to be free from all fear. Free from friction with the other sheep. Free from pests, bugs. I think he said flies. And then fourthly, free from hunger. Right? And then when that sheep has all of those things, it can sit down. Right? We just need to rest in the Lord. Say, Lord, lead me to the green pastures. I do believe our greenest pastures are his word. We feed upon those the finest of wheat, and we find in them a solace goes beyond any kind of food in this life. We find in the Lord our daily bread, a heavenly meal, Christ from heaven in his word, and it sustains and fills our souls to the brim. It brings us free from the pests of sin, free from the disunity within, free from the fear that creeps up in my flesh. All of that is found in feeding on his word. Green pastures and what else? He leads me beside quiet waters. All right, what's the difference between quiet waters and loud waters? I love loud waters. I love quiet waters too. Uh, well, water that's like a water raging waterfall or just a nice quiet lake that's just sitting there. Well, that's important for a sheep because they're, they're hanging, all this wool's hanging on them. Right, so they start licking this. If the, if the water's coming too fast, that wool gets wet, and all of a sudden they drown. So the shepherd needs to find waters that are quiet, that are still, that are easy to take in. And so the Lord does that. He comes beside us, and when life's waters feel like they're over our head, we trust the shepherd that these are the waters that he has for us. Water that seems so dangerous can be what gives us growth and sustaining health. Lord, is this water, it just seems like it's rushing too fast. Can we have stiller ponds, please? His loving hand has guided us there and we trust him. The Lord can provide the calm. I think that's the primary application here. 
Right? David was no stranger to upheaval. He's not talking about the absence of any storm, the absence of any troubled waters. And so we find that even when we were being pursued, we can find green pasture, right? Not just in the lusciousness of the grass, but even in the desert, because we find it in our Lord. We find rest and calm in life, not just when sitting on a raft in a lake, but even in the storm. For our shepherd slept in the storm. Our shepherd called to his disciples to walk out on the waves in the storm. And so he does lead us, make us drink from the waters that give us strength. The shepherd is the key, not the circumstances. And we'll see that as we continue on here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then look, moves on to, I will say it this way, our shepherd's guidance pivots. He restores my soul. Really, it's the word turn. It's like a pivot, a turn. The the Lord turns my soul. So he turns me, yes, like like it's not just spiritually, he turns my life around. The Lord turns me. And so we find here the picture of the lamb that has gone a little further away than he should from the shepherd, and he finds himself not in times of distress because of the shepherds brought him there but because he's wandered from the shepherd and and so he's in the crag or the cliff or actually Keller describes that they they actually wander off and they they fall asleep and they actually they lay on their sides and they're so dumb the wool is so heavy that they end up falling on their back and they cannot get back up on their feet they're so helpless they just stand there and yell Because they're on their back away from the shepherd. He describes it again and again. I would spend hours searching for a single sheep that was missing. Then more often than not, I would see it at a distance down on its back lying helpless. At once, I would start to run toward it, hurrying as fast as I could. For every minute was critical. Within me, there was a mingled sense of fear and joy. Fear that it might be too late. Joy that it was found at all. As soon as I reached the cast, that's what was called cast you, it would end up, his stomach would start to bloat and it would die that way. As soon as I reached the cast you, tenderly I would roll the sheep to its side to relieve the pressure in its stomach. I'd have to lift her onto her feet. I would hold her up, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation in her legs. This often took time. When the sheep started to walk again, she just stumbled, staggered, and collapsed in a heap once more. All the time I worked on the cast sheep, I would talk to it gently. When are you going to learn to stand on your own feet? I'm so glad I found you in time, you rascal. Little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. Start to walk steadily and surely. By and by, it would dash away to rejoin the others. Set free from its fears and frustrations. Given another chance to live a little longer. All of the pageantry is conveyed to my heart and mind when I repeat the simple statement, he restores my soul. The Lord does that for us, right? We wander off. You rascal. You've gotten yourself into another jam. Maybe you are that way right now, today. You have no idea. I am, I am like a bleeding sheep. 
legs kicking in the air. Oh, Lord, help me. You've come to the right place. Turn. Turn to the Lord. Come to the cross. Come to the shepherd. He died for you. Receive the forgiveness that he provides. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. And so we receive the forgiveness that he, he gives. And we say, Lord Jesus, help me walk closer, closer, closer to you. And so he pivots us. And then he continues to purify us. Our shepherd purifies. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's like, he gets us up. He restores us to a close relationship. And then he says, okay, let's stay on the path. Stay with me, buddy. And you got all these scratches and bruises. And you remember, stay close to the shepherd today. For his name's sake. He wants to guide us in the straight path. For his name's sake. It's not for us. It's not for our glory. It's not because of us. It's not because we're beautiful sheep. Not at all. It's because of the glory of the Lamb, because He deserves all the praise of people who are finding their satisfaction in the Lord as our shepherd. And so our, our shepherd's guidance purifies us. Walking in holiness because of His name. Because we are named by our shepherd. We're marked in his flock, as I am a Christian, I need to walk as Christ. And so I ask for his guidance to stay close to him, repenting and staying in the way. Do you need a shepherd? Christ is enough. Do you need a guide today? Christ is enough. And thirdly here, Christ is enough as a guard. Our guarding shepherd, verses 4 and 5. Christ is enough. Sometimes we get into trouble of our own because we wander away, but sometimes it's just life. Things happen that try to trip you up and try to throw you down. Well, that's what these verses are all about. Christ is enough as our guarding shepherd. Guarding in times of death, first of all. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You're with me there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, the Lord is walking with us today. He's guiding us. And sometimes it's through the valley of the shadow of death. You see the, the vultures circling on the distance. They know that this little ewe lamb is going to be tempted tripped up the Lord's with you in that shadow some perhaps believe this is looking forward to our own death and, and I think that's true because he says I walk through death and, and Jesus tasted death for all of us the curse of sin is death and death's sting is eternal separation from God which Jesus suffered for us but, but I do think deeper still is, is, is the idea that he's, he's helping us in very difficult times. In times where we feel like our life will be taken. He's walking right beside us. When, when your, your family forsakes you, when your friends forsake you, when, when everyone else forsakes you, your shepherd is still there. That evil one that 
wants to destroy you. The Lord is there. The, the, the badness. Uh, Satan himself cannot pluck me from the Father's side because I'm in his hand, secure. And so he will keep me from evil. He will keep me from harm. He will keep me from Satan's designs. Luther said it this way, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not at him. One little word will fell him. And so the darkest parts of life, if we were to see this eternally, are not necessarily the times where you have a really full, close call on the subway. It's when your, your soul is threatened, infinite loss. And Jesus brings you to himself. He does that with his rod and his staff. I don't have to fear the evil of any demon, Satan, any human set against me. Neither do you, because the Lord is your shepherd. Do not fear. Satan wants you to fear. Because I have Christ and his rod and his staff. In your own strength, no one can stand. And so we say, the Lord rebuke you. And Satan flees. The the lion that is preying on the sheep flees when we resist him in this way. So the Lord sustains us with his rod. The idea there would, would be like a, a, an offensive weapon. Striking someone with a rod. It's a thicker stick, shorter stick would be the idea. Um, Jesus says there, I think it was Isaiah. Uh, another prophecy talks about Jesus being struck with a rod. This is the idea. And Jesus was struck with a rod. The staff would be the the guiding uh, staff that the shepherd uses as a walking stick that helps nudge the sheep along. And so his rod and his staff, they comfort us. They bring comfort and help. He's guarding us in death and then guarding us in danger. This is a beautiful picture. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And this is where a lot of commentators change the scene, and we could a little bit here. The idea of a host. Um, in the presence of your enemies, you're really wanting to run there, but he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and then he's actually sitting down and eating in front of his enemies. He doesn't care at all what any of the world says, because the Lord is his shepherd. And so he sits down there, and the Lord kind of brings out this beautiful, beautiful meal. It could be that this is like the plateau, the table that the sheep are fed. But perhaps it's the picture of someone sitting down with the Lord. Their head is anointed with oil. This Middle Eastern custom, a beautiful custom that is symbolizing peace and prosperity. And my cup is not just full, it's overflowing. Picturesque of I shall not want. I have all that I need and more because I have the Lord as my shepherd. And that is in the presence of whom? My enemies. The person that is trying to mess your life up. Well, you could just sit in front of them and just smile. Do whatever you want. The Lord's my shepherd. I don't need to find vengeance. I can leave that with the Lord. And then we do need to finish this up. Christ is enough, our infinite shepherd. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life.
right? So the idea is God's goodness, his, his good hand is going to follow me. So we, we are the sheep again, following close to the shepherd. And that which is good, merry, pleasant, desirable is going to attend me from the good shepherd. And it's going to follow me every single day of the rest of my life. His goodness and his what? Loving kindness. What is that word? Somebody give us that word. It's chesed, right? His covenant loyalty. This promised tender love from God that's not based on myself, but based on a promise through the new covenant. Loving kindness is going to follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so David brings us right up to death and just busts open the door to eternity and says, there you are. The Lord's your shepherd every single day of this life until you pass over to the next. Is the Lord your shepherd. He will guide you through Goodness and mercy. Now, I had a pastor growing up who's, who said, this is, these are your three guardian angels. And he was serious. Their, na- their names are Shirley. He said, Shirley. And goodness and mercy. That's not what that's talking about, right? Surely, God's goodness and loving kindness will be with you until he takes you home. Amy Carmichael was an amazing young lady. Uh, she moved to the region of India in the late 1800s, started a home in the early 1900s, uh, that treated um, children. These children were just uh, misused and abused horribly. Um, not just those of lower castes, uh, but many were, were kidnapped and brought into the temple uh, to be abused, sexually abused. And so she started rescuing these girls. Uh, over the next hundred years, the home they developed rescued over 1,850 girls and 670 young boys. She shares so many precious stories about these little ones. Um, one she shares, I'll just recount. She went away. Um, this, this little girl uh, came down with a fever that they, sickness that they would know uh, because of the medicine of the time, would not, she would never overcome. And she, she's praying to the Lord. She prays, but she prays for comfort in her dying. She said, I was not more than a minute away. When I returned, she was radiant. Her little lovely face was lighted up with amazement and happiness. Happiness in dying. This is goodness and tender mercy. She was looking up, clapping her hands as delighted children do. When she saw me, she stretched out her arms and flung them around my neck as though saying goodbye in a hurry to be gone. And then she turned to the others in the same way, again holding out her arm to someone that we could not see. She clapped her hands. Had only one of us seen this thing, we might have doubted, but we all saw it. There were no traces of pain in her face. She was never to taste of pain again. We looked where she was looking, almost thinking that we would see what she saw. And they didn't. 
What must be, Carmichael says this, what must the fountain of joy be if the spray from the edge of the pool can be like that? Entered through the joy of the Lord. These are the little lambs, and some little lambs die in his care, but all of us are in his care. I, I really pray that you can, you can say with the psalmist today, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Christ is enough. Really, if you have, if you have him, you don't need the box of anything else. I just I want to make sure that we, we come to grips with that. Whatever your field is right now, as a sheep, there's a lot of things lacking in everybody's field. That's true. But if you have this perspective, you know this secret, that the Lord is my shepherd. The world might be screaming at you, you need to be married and have kids. Or the world may be screaming at you, you need to be single and have no kids. The world may be screaming at you, you need a better job. You need to be respected. You need this, 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 this. The world tells us so many things. Shut out the world and just say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The issue is the wanter. And then as we have our heart delighted in him, whatever he gives is fine. If he gives me a Timex or a Rolex, it really doesn't care. Because it's time with the shepherd. It's a filet mignon or a hot dog. It doesn't matter. Because I'm sitting down with my shepherd. And Christianity gets so caught up, Western Christianity, in the stuff. It's the shepherd. It's not the stuff that he gives. All that stuff Paul calls, I want to be careful, he calls crud. Alf's off scouring that I may know Christ. You have Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have him. And I, and I have, as Spurgeon said, in having thee all that I can crave. It's not that all will go easily. It's that I go with Christ and he's enough. It's not coming to the shepherd to give me all that I want. It's coming to the shepherd and having all I want in him. Every day of my life until we die. And we enter the joys of the Lord. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Please, if you don't know the Lord is your shepherd today, you've been caught up in living a life that's really trying to put everything in that box but Christ. Find your joy in Christ. Oh, call to him now. He is glorified by a church filled with people that love him so much that he's all they need. That's what glorifies God. That is essential true Christianity. And that is what gives resounding glory to his name when we sing his praise in prison. When we offer our blood to his cause, and when it's not divine by health and wealth, but humility, walking with the shepherd.
Let's all talk to him now in closing prayer. If you'd like to pray, I'll be standing in the back lobby in just a moment. We'll sing together, and Pastor Edgar will close us in prayer. Let's all talk to our shepherd now, finding him our delight.